here this morning is Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. So if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. And I got to say, this scripture passage is very special to me um, because of the way God used it to impact my life and the way I pray for people, uh, for other people. So um, now I've lost my place. Okay, I found it again. So I'll read it for you. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. The word of the Lord. I have to admit, Dean, that when I was preparing this message, I thought about you and the way you pray in regards to this passage. Um, Let me share with you, there is a uh, prayer effort that's been going on in the Church of the Nazarene Oh, for months now. And, but, but the goal has been that, uh, well, next Sunday, May 1st, there would be 500,000 Nazarenes in North America, the USA and Canada, that would be praying about three specific things. That is um, direction, revelation, and protection. And we will be taking time in our service next Sunday morning to do that. But it began with our our general superintendents gathering and praying that way. Then I think it went to our, uh, well, I think it was those in the, all of our general leaders, not just the GSs. And then it went to the level of the district superintendents across North America and Canada on another specific day that prayed for these things. And then and I don't remember the date, but the pastors in, in North America all prayed uh, for direction, revelation, and protection. And then this past Thursday night, all the, well, not all boards meet on our Thursday night, but all church boards in the Church of the Nazarene um, were this month supposed to pray for direction, protection, and revelation. And then next Sunday, the congregations. And so, um, then uh, there's a 40-day prayer effort that leading up to Pentecost that, that they want to take place. And so, in keeping with that, they, they sent out some th- things and said, here's pastor, are some ways that you can preach toward that end. And so, I'm trying to be obedient. Um, and pray, uh, what I'm saying is for the next several weeks, uh, the, we'll be praying, preaching about prayer, some aspect of prayer. And um, I think this is an interesting passage of Scripture. And, and um, you know, I'd never really thought about praying the way Dean prays from this passage of Scripture until I heard him do it. And it's certainly a, uh, an important prayer to pray, and it's what Jesus prayed, that uh, Peter's faith would not fail. But 
let's start this way. Have you ever, have you ever committed to do something and then failed in the attempt? You know, um, uh, you said, they're going to do a 5K fun run. And I think I'll jump, I think I can run 5K. And about 1K, you were crawling on your hands and knees. Uh, you just weren't ready. You didn't have uh, uh, the, the, the cardiovascular conditioning to do something like that. Um, and, and there are things like that we commit to do. We just, we, we think, well, I can do this, or I'm going to commit to do this. And then we find out we don't have the skill or determination, endurance, or courage to follow through. You know, I was thinking about some things um, that I've experienced, uh, I think mainly that required maybe some courage to follow through with. Um, for years, uh, Julie's family, and once I became part of her family, uh, camped at a place in the Cascade Mountains in Washington called Lewiswis. And there's a river that runs through the campground. I think it's the Ohanapakosh, but I'm not sure. Um, anyway, um, and there's a, there's a place we call the Blue Hole, and it's just water comes down the mountain, and there's, it kind of levels out, and there's this just big, deep, we call it blue, it's blue water. And there's a cliff there. I don't know how high that cliff is, but it looks like a mile when you're on top of the cliff. And, um, you know, the, there was always this pressure to go up on the cliff and jump into the blue hole. And I managed to do it a few times, but I had to stand there and think about it for quite a while. But I've seen people get up to the top of the cliff and look down into the blue hole and, you know what? I can't do that. And so they come back down again. When I was... Um, Years ago, when I was in the Northwest District at our camp at Low in Washington on Deer Lake, we uh, we have put a ropes course um, into our campground. If, if, I don't know if how many you know what a ropes course is. Are these challenges? They have low level challenges and high level challenges, and the lower level challenges weren't a big deal. But when you get 20 feet in the air, then it becomes you know, takes some extra courage to, and they have different things they do. They have a, a zip line and a free fall thing, and there's one where you stand on a platform and there's a trapeze like out here, and you have to jump. And now, don't think well, p- kids fell to their death because they were all uh, tethered. It was so if you miss a trapeze, you were caught. But you know, there were a lot of people who were pretty, I don't know, do girls, are girls macho? Anyway, on the ground they were macho. But when they got up on the platform to do this particular uh, thing, it's like, let me back down. I, I can't do this. And, and I think we all can relate to things like that in our lives where we get, we may even get involved and there's a point where we just say, you know what, I can't finish. We believe that prayer works, right? We do believe that prayer works. Boy, I hope you believe that prayer works. We know it works in the sense that prayer connects us with our Heavenly Father and further aligns us with the heart of God. Those are some of the chief aims or goals of prayer is 
to connect us with our Heavenly Father and align our hearts with God's heart. We know that prayers are not wasted and that God responds to the pleas of His people in ways we can see, in ways that we'll maybe never understand till heaven someday. However, there's this lingering question, I think, that maybe we've all deal with or have dealt with at some time. Did prayer work the way we wanted it to work? Or are we so removed from the purposes of God that our requests and petitions aren't fulfilled? Did Jesus prayer work? What did he pray here? Do you remember what he prayed? Dean, what did he pray? He prayed for Peter's faith that would not fail. And what, what did Peter end up doing? He denied Christ three times. Hmm. Um, now, don't we assume that the prayers of the Son would be answered by the Father because they are one? It's awful quiet in here. Um, don't we think that if anyone would pray according to, the, to God's will, if anyone would pray the desires of God's heart, it would be Jesus, right? But, but as we look at our text that Dean read for us today, it might appear to many that Jesus' prayer didn't work because we see Peter's denial of Jesus as a failure of faith. That is, faith failed. Now, I will tell you that some of the commentaries that address, address this particular event in which Jesus prayed that P- Peter's faith would not fail say that Peter's faith failed. So, here then are the options we're left with. Peter's faith failed, which means that Jesus' prayer was not answered. Or, Peter's faith did not fail and Jesus' prayer was answered. Want to chew on that for a minute? The word that Luke records Jesus using in this prayer, that Peter's faith would not fail, is used twice more in the book of Luke. The first time it's used is in Luke chapter 12, verse 33. And it says this, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will never wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. The second time it's used is in Luke chapter 16. When Jesus encourages us to use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So, point number one on your outline. The word Jesus uses to describe his prayer for Peter means to come to an end, die out, no longer functioning. That's the word Jesus is using here. It means to come to an end, to die out, no longer functioning. And Luke uses this specific word to make it clear to us that to fail is like the dead battery in your car. And you get in, turn the key, and click, 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 click. 
The engine does not turn over, and it won't ever again. Because, as a friend used to say, your battery is deader than a hammer. Okay? So it doesn't work anymore. It's come to an end. Um, so, uh, we need to understand then this word fail that Jesus used in the context of what's happening here in, in this passage of Scripture. See, when our faith has died out, it's come to an end and it's no longer functioning. When it fails in the terminology that Jesus used, it's come to an end and it's no longer functioning. And we don't, we don't tend to use the word fail that way. We use it to refer to every kind of mess up or slip up or boo-boo that happens in our lives. When I try to jump over a puddle and overestimate my leaping ability and land in the middle of the puddle, that's a fail. When I pick the short checkout line at the store and it turns out to be the slowest one because I tell Julie I'm the world's worst line picker, um, that's a fail. Um, the word fail has become a catch-all for all of our mistakes and missteps. I, I fail when there's a gap between my understanding and my obedience. I don't try to excuse my way out of that situation. I'm willing to call it what it is. Uh, it's a failure on my part. When I choose comfort over calling or preference over faith, I failed. Failing is so frequent in my own life that I feel sometimes like my faith has failed many times. Or has it? Perhaps Jesus' view of failure doesn't match our own. And if it doesn't, you may be referring to something as a failure that Jesus would not have referred to as a failure. Maybe what you view as failure is something that God would actually allow in your life. You know, I believe that God answers prayer, and I believe that God answered Jesus' prayer. Um, I believe God is still answering Jesus' prayer when He prayed for us in John chapter 17 that all of them may be one. See, I think the prayers of Jesus are, well, among other things, but maybe the chief thing, the prayers of Jesus are one of the things I believe that has kept the church together through the years, even with the polarization and divisiveness that we've felt at times and even feel going on in our culture today. Has it always been pretty? No. Has the church given itself over to lesser things than kingdom issues? At times we have. But did we fail? Well, it appears not. Not by Jesus' standard. We have not come to an end, thank God. <laughs> we have not ceased to function. And, and I don't mean in the sense that the church is still meeting because we are, but I think the church is still functioning as witnesses and agents of the kingdom of God that is in our midst. So Jesus' prayer for us didn't fail, neither did his prayer for Peter. Because, by Jesus' definition, Peter's faith did not fail. Peter's faith was still functioning. It did not come to an end. 
Peter denied knowing Jesus, but ultimately his faith did not fail. See, point number two, a faith that falters is not the same as a faith that fails. We know from reading the scripture that Peter is shaken by the events that are about to unfold. But Jesus makes it clear that these events have been requested by Satan to sift all of you as wheat. Sifting is a process of removing coarse particles from the finer ones. It's where what is undesired is removed from what is sought after. It is, in essence, a crisis of faith. And Peter's faith obviously falters within the crisis, but it does not fail. And because it does not fail, it emerges stronger on the other side. This same Peter, who denied Jesus three times, becomes the leader of the early church. This same Peter preaches boldly at Pentecost, and 3,000 are added to the number of the church in one day. Yes, his faith faltered in this moment, but it never failed. Again, according to Jesus' definition of the word. Here's another example of faltering faith from a situation that we read about in in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. Same situation, but from two different perspectives. First is from the perspective of the disciples. A father has brought his son to them hoping they can cast out a demon that has been tormenting the boy, but they are unable to. They ask Jesus why. And in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus replies, because you have so little faith. Notice he didn't say you have no faith. He said you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Again, Jesus didn't say they had no faith. He said they did not have enough faith. Their faith faltered in this situation. Then in the book of Mark, same event, but now from the father's perspective, the father of the boy. This is Mark chapter 9. Beginning at verse 20. So they brought him, the boy. When the Spirit saw Jesus, remember the disciples had failed to cast out the demons, so now they bring him to Jesus. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If I can, Jesus said, everything is possible for for him who believes. Immediately the, the father's boy the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe there's a level of faith. Help my unbelief. What was the father saying? I do believe I have some faith, but at this point it is faltering. Help me overcome my doubt, my unbelief. 
I think I've shared this uh, illustration with you before, and I wanted to put a picture of, you know, the old type of scales with a crossbar and the, the pans on either side, but everything says, well, this might have a copyright on it, and I didn't want to mess with it. So, I'm the illustration. Uh, scales. Okay? And uh, on one side is, let's call it faith, on the other side, may, maybe call it doubt or unbelief or even fear. And what happens sometimes in, in the situations that we find ourselves in, and I think the situation the disciples found themselves in, and the f- situation the Father found himself in is, if this is the side of, side of doubt or unbelief, it was outweighing the side of faith. Now, Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can tip the scales the other way. And if... Uh, I used to uh, reload cartridges, okay? And I found out that it... And on sensitive scales, it doesn't take very much to tip the scales one way or the other. A mustard seed isn't very much, but Jesus is saying... You can tip the scales toward the side of faith with a faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed. So, faith falters. Faith can be strengthened. The size of a grain of a mustard seed. And so, Peter's faith faltered. You know, if, if Peter's faith had failed, he would have just tossed it in and that would have been, we'd have never heard about Peter again. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that faith doesn't fail sometimes. It does fail sometimes. People just pack it in. That's done. I have no belief. We know people who've walked, they don't believe in Jesus or this God thing anymore. If they had faith, it's all gone now. They do have faith in something. We know that. It's just not in Jesus anymore. So, why do we view falter as failure? Why am I quicker to la- label something failure as a failure, quicker to label that than Jesus is? Why am I quicker to label something finished before Jesus is? Uh, there's a concept within weightlifting that you need to train to failure. And the idea is that you so overtax the muscle that it's impossible for you to do another rep, to lift anymore. In our understanding of the word failure, then, it, it, well, to say that we would train to failure would mean that you could never use that muscle anymore. It ceased to function. It had come to an end. But we know that's not true. You may train to failure, but the point is, it helps you get stronger. So... You're able to do at some point another set. You've got more work to do. And by Jesus' terminology, we could say that we train sometimes to falter. And it's the necessary part of growth. Has your faith ever faltered? I was going to say, I hope I'm not the only one that says, yes, mine has. I'd probably have to trade you places. Yes, our faith has faltered at times. So, do you think that after this incident with the demon, 
the disciples grew? Do you think they grew from that incident? Do you think after this incident with this demon-possessed boy that the father grew? After this incident? His faith, their faiths faltered. The disciples' faith faltered. The father's faith faltered. But I believe, and you seem to agree, that they probably grew from this incident. They saw what Jesus could do. They saw what faith can do. And they grew from this incident. So, um, maybe we need to start looking at life and faith the same way Jesus did. Let's consider our falters as steps to growth. The next point. Our crises, our crises and moments of need are the very tools that God uses to refine our faith and cause it to be stronger on the other side. He uses it to cause us to be stronger on the other side. We struggle with this because we expect our faith to be perfect. Just my faith will always speak, always believe God. But we admit that we won't be perfect, and yet it seems that we're often surprised when we aren't. Anybody here claim to be perfect in their faith? And yet we're surprised when we aren't. It, to the realization of our own struggle with these things sometimes. I, I think, you know, when Jesus was talking about what was in store for him, I'd have probably stood up and said, just like Peter, Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison and death for you. I mean, it's easy to say when you're not actually free, facing prison and death, right? I would have over, overestimated my own level of faith. And when the moment of truth came... And I denied Jesus, I would have assumed that, well, there goes my faith. It's all over. I'm done. Maybe we call it failure because it takes us by surprise. We really didn't expect this to happen. We overestimate our, our faithfulness and we, we can't see clearly the, the work that God is still doing in us and the work that He's still calling us to do. Isn't it great that Jesus didn't give up on Peter? Isn't it great that he doesn't give up on us? So, after Jesus tells Peter his prayer, that your faith will not fail, he gives him a task. He says that Satan has asked to sift all of, all of you as wheat. By the way... Um, this is a, an older version of the NIV, and that particular phrase says, sift all, sift you as wheat. But there's a little, you know, a little, uh, lowercase alphabet, uh, an F there, and it refers me to a footnote, and it says in the Greek it's plural. All of you. God, uh, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Hmm. And um, so it's interesting then that Jesus says that, but then he prays for Peter alone. But I pray that Peter's faith, your faith, Peter, will not fail. Um, though it falters, it did not fail. Then after he has turned back, and Jesus says that, after he's turned back, that he would strengthen the other disciples. See, the, 
Jesus' prayer was not for Peter alone, but that his faith would not fail so that he could strengthen the others when he had came back. So, when we look at our lives and ask ourselves, has my faith failed? Well, if we look at this from Jesus' perspective and what the word fail means, probably not. It's faltered. It's been tested. It's gone through crisis. It's been sifted, but it's still there. Even when the scales are tipping toward doubt and unbelief. You know what? Um, let's look at like a gas gauge. When we still had, you know, an, uh, analog gauges. Everything's digital now. But when the old gas gauge on one side was E and the other side was F. Full and empty. And folks, as long as that arrow hasn't reached E, there's still some faith there. Right? Maybe more doubt, but there's still some faith there. God help us that we never get to E. Amen? So has your faith failed? Probably not. It's faltered, it's been tested, it's been through crises. It's been sifted, but it's still there. It's still functioning. And within that reality lies a task, a calling. Return to strengthen others. Recent studies and trends around church attendance, spiritual life, and declining faith say all signs point to spiritual apathy. Faith has faltered. I would say as we look across our culture, we would say that's true. I wonder if we have a tendency then to modernize or to intellectualize and and create terminology and studies around declining faith, not, not to better understand what is taking place, but to excuse our own apathy in our role to be a part of the solution. If we can label and explain all the, you know, what we call sociological trends that got us where we are, then, then we can comprehend it and feel less responsibility to act. See, the very people we label as done with faith or assume that their faith failed are the very people that Jesus would instruct to strengthen others after the, you have returned or turned back. See, you've been there. You know what it feels like. You know what it takes to recover. Jesus provides two answers to the question, how can faith withstand the onslaught of Satan? The first is this, his own intercession on our behalf. We have to be people of prayer because Jesus intercedes for us. The second answer is that those who falter but do not fail will return to strengthen others. You've heard the terminology walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. Well, then you know what it's like for faith to falter, don't you? If you've had your faith falter, you know what it's like. You, and you can relate to somebody whose faith is faltering and they're, and they're wondering, is there hope and is there a future for me? And because your faith has faltered and you've returned, now you can strengthen others who are in that place where you were 
at one time. That's one of the great things about the body of Christ, isn't it? We're able to share what God has done in our lives to get us through those times in life with others who might be struggling with the same thing or something similar. So in those moments of, of crisis, did your faith fail? No. You might have overestimated your faithfulness at times, but do not underestimate the call that God still has on your life. Strengthen the others. Strengthen the brothers. Strengthen the sisters. Encourage those who need encouragement. You have learned from your own faltering that you can come back, that faith can outweigh doubt or fear or unbelief. Your actions determine whether it was failure or falter. See, I believe Jesus' prayers work. Which means there is work for us to do. Winston Churchill said this, and I know this isn't scripture, but it's pretty good. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. See, Peter had the courage to continue. Jesus came back, restored him. He was there to strengthen the brothers. And folks, my faith has faltered at times. It will probably falter again. But I don't want it, I don't want it to be a failure in my life. I don't want your faith, when it falters, to be a failure. I want us to come back from those things. I want us to be an encouragement. I want us to be able to strengthen one another. Peter's faith did not fail. Oh, it faltered, but it did not fail. And he came back to be this amazing leader. The, the, the man who had the courage to stand in front of crowds and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, say that you're the ones who nailed him to the cross, you need to repent, 3,000 came into the church in one day. Imagine how God can use us, even when our faith falters. God help us in those times to come back and to be able to strengthen others. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this. You, you just... You lay it all out there in Scripture. You don't, you don't hide the bumps and the failures and the falters and the times when people, as we say, drop the ball. It's there for us to see, but it's also there for us to understand what can happen through those times in our lives when we struggle, when our faith falters, when we think we're a failure. Lord God, to know that as Peter was restored and became this incredible leader in the early church. You have things for us. These times of faltering in our lives can be times when we move on to be stronger in our faith than ever before, just like Peter was. And so, Father, protect us from that thinking that, well, it's all done, it's all over. My faith failed in this situation really when really father it was a falter there's still faith there and we know that through the power of your spirit you can you can strengthen our faith to where the 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 scales tip in the other direction and then we are able through our experiences of faltering faith to encourage 
and strengthen others in the body of Christ. And thank you, Lord God, that you can use even those moments in our lives that we look back and regret and, and may see as failures. You can use them as in the big picture as successes, as points of growth, so that we are better equipped than ever before to be used by you in the ministry of the kingdom. And Father, we give you thanks and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.